Welcome to the Finance Marketing Podcast, a show that empowers finance professionals to market their businesses in ways that feel good and actually achieve results. I'm your host, Hillary. I've been working with folks in financial services to develop marketing strategies that work and create results-oriented marketing content since 2020, and I've learned a lot about what works in finance marketing, what doesn't work, and where financial services pros get stuck. Join us each Friday as we explore real, effective ways to market your finance business and connect with folks who truly embody your ideal clients. My guest today is Sean Mullaney. Sean is an advice-only financial planner and the writer of the Plutus award-winning blog, phytaxguy.com, on the intersection of tax and financial independence. Sean also has a personal finance YouTube channel and wrote a book called Solo 401k, The Solopreneur's Retirement Account. If you haven't met Sean yet, you're in for a real treat. I had the pleasure of meeting Sean in person last year at FinCon in October of 2023. So I first saw him give a great talk on the benefits of solo 401ks for solopreneurs, and then I was later introduced to him by a mutual friend of ours. And in this conversation, Sean is getting into everything from the book that he wrote that has truly set him apart as a thought leader to the personal brand that he's developed as the Phi tax guy. So I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Let's dive in. So excited to have you on today, Sean. Thank you so much for being here. Hillary, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so am I. I would love if we could start off by just hearing a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do with your clients, and kind of your story behind your decision to become a financial planner and the FI tax guy. Yeah, so um, I'm Sean Mullaney. I'm a financial planner based in Los Angeles, California, and I'm essentially now in a second career. So my first career was corporate tax. I did that essentially from age 22 to age 40. And you know, there was a law school in there, so I worked mostly in big four accounting in that time, a, a three-year stint with the IRS Office of Chief Counsel. But during pretty much all that time, I had at least some inkling, some itch to scratch on the personal finance side. And, you know, I had built up a career that was relatively successful in corporate tax and certainly paid the bills. So for me, you know, I'm I'm relatively conservative in temperament. So it was tough to sort of turn the ship and say, you know what, I'm getting a steady paycheck. I'm just going to leave that. But eventually the itch got such that I had to scratch. So in 2018, I left uh, my last job in corporate tax, PwC, and started the process of building my own firm. That was a year I actually got married to, so I had a big personal change and a big professional change. And I got the final approvals for my firm in March of 20, or actually February of 2019, was on a short vacation at that particular moment in time. So I started in March of 2019, uh, so it's about five years, almost five years as we record this, uh, that I've now been a financial planner. I've been totally independent. And what I do now is I do project-based advice-only financial planning. So, um, you know, what I do in, in my practice is it's advice-only, and it's for, generally speaking, a 90-day time frame where we're working together to craft a financial plan, perhaps revise a financial plan, uh, my firm also has something called fourth quarter tax planning for former financial planning clients. Um, so I'm not going to be like all the, you know, I'm not going to be like a lot of the advisors on the podcast in terms of 
you know, uh, I'm not, I don't have assets under management. I don't have ongoing continuing relationships now. And it took me a while to develop that model. Um, but anyway, so that, that's sort of where my practice is now. That's great. One thing I want to circle back to that you said is, uh, you know, you had, you had decided to go all in on your own practice. You had just gotten married and it really just reminds me of how I got started with my business. I, I feel like these big changes, they really come in waves. Um, at least that's been my experience prior to starting my business, um, and working with financial advisors and coaches on their marketing and helping them with their copywriting and things like that. I was teaching at a state university and I had been teaching for about five years. I really loved what I was doing, but like you, I was feeling this itch to kind of try something else and see if there was maybe a different way to reach my goals. Um, with something that I was really interested in and passionate about. And so I started, I started working with clients in 2020, but I didn't actually decide to go all in and hundred percent on the business until 2021. And when I finally did make that decision and I left teaching for good, three days later, I found out I was pregnant. And so it was kind of like, well, now I have to figure out these two new big things. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing that part of your story. Could I ask you to tell us a little bit about your reasoning, why you decided not to go the AUM route and, and kind of what opportunities that presents for you and your clients and also maybe even the challenges that that has presented as well? All right. Great question. So when I first started my firm, I offered or my firm offered an AUM model as an offering. And what I found mm. was I never recommended it. Right. So I, mm. my firm never managed a penny of anyone's money. And eventually I just dropped it. Actually, that happened relatively quick in terms of my journey. So I was new to the industry and you just, you know, there's a lot of bias towards the AUM in the industry. And I just figured, well, I'm a financial planner. I guess you just got to offer that. And I started working with some clients. Like I said, I never recommended it. And so if I'm never going to mm. recommend it, why am I even offering it, right? And that's part of also being an entrepreneur. When you, when you first start out, it's like, well, money's walking in the door. The answer is yes, right? Um, that money never did walk in the door, right? No one came to me looking for it, and I never recommended it. So it was a pretty easy decision to drop it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's sort of why that happened. And, and frankly, the advice-only model has really sort of taken off. I became advice only before I really even heard that term to my knowledge. I'm trying to remember back then. Uh, you know, now I think you have a, a much bigger movement of advisors who affirmatively offer that as a feature, not a bug, right? Like, no, I don't want to be managing yeah. clients' money. And to my mind also, you know, I look at it as, say you or I inherited $100,000 this weekend, Right relative passes, we inherit $100,000. Well, what the heck are we going to do with that money? You know, we can pull out our iPhones or your Android or whatever device you have. And in about 10 minutes, you can get it invested in well-diversified, low-cost funds on your choice of platform, right? You can choose the platform based on, I like this app, I don't like this app. And that's perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. And that, could, that process can take 10 minutes. So I'm not so sure why we need to be having professional investment management today. Look, that's my take. You do you. Um, so anyway, so that's sort of my journey with the assets under management model. I love that. And I would love to ask just one follow-up question, and then we'll get into kind of the marketing side of it. I've heard from one of my clients, actually, that they have 
so they did the same thing. They, they had an, an AUM offering and then they also had kind of a project based advice only fee and they had the total opposite experience. They found that not many of their clients were willing to pay out of pocket in their words, um, for the, for the advice only. And it sounds like you've had the exact opposite experience. And do you, I, I would love to just hear yeah. your thoughts well, on kind of where you think that is. All right. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit about my journey. So it, it's interesting, you know, I left the, um, corporate tax world, the big four accounting world. Well, what do I do? I basically sort of recreated that world in my own uh, entrepreneurial mm -hmm. adventure because what I did was I said, well, okay, I'll just bill everybody hourly. Okay. So that was my mm -hmm. model for quite some time. And I found it actually is not a very good model. This is my opinion, right? My experience. So what happened, what would happen was clients would sign up and I would give them an estimate of the time to completion. So, you know, hourly rate times, estimated time, and this is roughly what it's going to be. And I think the hourly model has a lot of drawbacks. Now, one of them, frankly, is the client really doesn't know, okay, what is it ultimately going to cost? Unless you just say it's going to be 10 hours and I'm just going to, we're just going to lock in at that. So there's a subset of the hourly model where the client could really know what it's going to cost. Um, so in 2022, I shifted to project base. So now everything is, you know, this is the fee and that's it, right? There's no discussion. There's no, oh, it's going to be more. It's going to be less. We got to negotiate. There's none of that, right? This is the fee. Take it or leave it. And I think that's just a great model. Um, I think it helps me appropriately collect for the value added, right? Sometimes the value added has very little to do with the amount of hours spent. Now, sometimes it does, right? So there's a balance there. But sometimes I have specialized knowledge or specialized judgment. That's a lot of what you're paying for is specialized judgment, not so much knowledge. And sometimes that judgment, A, today doesn't take a lot of time to go through, but maybe it took a lot of time two, three years ago when I developed the knowledge and working with clients two, three years ago that informs my judgment today. So why are you paying me hourly today? You know, so that's been my, my journey. I, as an advisor, I think it very much helps me and my business and makes my business a lot more sustainable by having a flat fee that's predictable. Client comes in the door. I now know the revenue that's associated with that client. Um, and I feel like I'm appropriately compensated and the client has the advantage of, they know the fee, right? It is what it is. There's just, that's it. Right. And I, I, I think client perspective, I've found that prospective clients seem to like it. And certainly I think it works better for my business. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I know I, I've talked to several advisors who really struggle with this question of, you know, how do I charge? How do I want to charge and how do clients want to pay me? So I really appreciate you kind of sharing that perspective, um, which is a really important piece of your marketing in a way. It's how you talk to clients and how you start a relationship with them. So um, now, of course, going in on your own business after a very successful career, all of a sudden you're the person that is wearing all the hats. So I'd love to hear about what your experience kind of was realizing that, okay, now I am the one responsible for finding all of the clients. Did you have a role similar to that when you were in corporate tax? Had you thought about marketing in any specific way at that point in your career, or was this just a totally new realm for you? So Hillary, I would say it was mostly a totally new realm. Now I had done some marketing at 
my old jobs in terms of I'd worked on some thought leadership pieces within the firm. But, you know, that was me and a whole host of people. And in terms of sales, my, my particular role had very little to do with sales and generating additional revenue for the firm. Um, and even so, it, that's a corporate, that's Fortune 500 for the most part type client base. Very different marketing to now I'm a B2C provider, right? I'm going to the individual end user. I'm going in, you know, essentially into people's homes now virtually today. But I'm going into people's homes and trying to get clients that way. Um, and I, I think where my marketing started was with connections. So I think, you know, if, if I think about it, what I started was was with connections. And then it's finding audience, right? And only later do we get into expertise. So what do I mean by that? So mm-hmm. I had some transition time in turn, and I was fortunate. I had some money saved up and, you know, my now white, my then fiance, now wife has a, you know, has W2 jobs and those sorts of things. So the first thing I did in terms of my marketing, Mike was connecting. And so I went to something called Camp Fi back in August of 2018. It was sort of my first venture into the financial independence space. I went as an attendee, had a great time. Uh, I met a woman there named Jennifer Ma. She is very active in the financial independence space. And what she did was she invited me to present to a, a small group. You're probably familiar with the Choose a Five podcast. They have local groups. And so this was back in, I believe it was October of 2018. This was before I had my RIA up and running. Hey, Sean, just come and speak to us about tax planning. You seem to know a lot about tax. We just t- chatted at Camp Fi. Come speak to us about tax planning. So I put together a slide deck, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm transitioning into this. I ought to be up in front of people and, and talking about these types of topics. And I think it was during that presentation I said, you know, I just thought to myself, you know, I put together a bunch of stuff for this presentation. This could become a blog. So it was at that presentation mm-hmm. I had the idea that, you know what, this is going to be a blog. And I think within a week or two, I had launched phytaxguy.com. And, and, and to be honest with you, I don't even remember how I f- thought up the name phytaxguy. But what's interesting about that name is it is very audience-focused, right? It's not about, mm-hmm. look at all what I know about the backdoor Roth IRA or the solo 401k or anything like that. It's about who's the audience, Right, because I can go mm-hmm. either you know today or five years ago and do the greatest post in the world about the backdoor Roth IRA, and it's going to get almost no traction. But if I identify with an mm-hmm. audience and say, "Hey, you have this, you know, you're part of this community, this group, this way of thinking," I cater to that way of thinking. I'm focused on you, the audience. You could start building. And for me, uh, the blog was actually a really good first step into marketing um, for two reasons. One, it, 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 it went with my skills. So I have an, a writing ability. In law school, I was the editor-in-chief editor of the Law Review. So I have at least some background in writing. So it, it went with the, a skill I naturally had. All right. And then the second thing is it gave me a voice. Right. I think sometimes we think and so I'm a I'm a little older than you, Hillary. I'm old enough to remember sort of the heyday of like Johnny Carson and the Tonight Show. And mm-hmm. as an advisor, that's not your marketing. 
right? You don't mm. need to be the top comedian, the top late night host. You don't need to have millions and millions of viewers, right? Millions and millions of viewers mm. does almost nothing for me, right? You need to be niched down and you don't need a million page views on your blog post, right? You just don't need it. What you need is a voice. Right. And frankly, Hillary, like you didn't ask me coming into this podcast, hey, Sean, how many page views did you have last month, right? It means mm -hmm. nothing to you. And what, right. what, what the blog did for me is it gave me a voice. It gave me a reason mm -hmm. to be talking to people, and it gave other people a reason to talk to me, right? Like, oh, well, mm -hmm. this guy blogs about tax and financial independence. Now we have a reason to talk to him, and maybe we saw something on the blog that's interesting. It's just it's a way of getting a voice. The blog for me was a way of getting a voice when I'm coming in cold, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, so that was that's something I would explore. I would I would encourage a lot of advisors, particularly newer advisors, to consider. It's not easy. You gotta you know you have to commit to it. I do generally once a month, although that's very loose. Mm -hmm. Some months it's two or three. Every now and then I take a month mm -hmm. off. Um, so it, it it very much depends. So that's the beginning of my marketing journey. And frankly, I took one at a time. So I didn't come out, and I'll tell you, if I was advising an advisor, and by the way, I'm an end user of marketing, so if you're getting your marketing advice professionally from me, uh, I don't offer it, and I'm not going to offer it. But I would say I would not do, okay, I'm going to come out with a blog, a YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm going to have it all. Just uh, That's what I'm, no, I wouldn't, that, that's at least my impression. I would conquer one or two at a time. That is something that I preach all the time is instead of trying to do all the things, pick one thing that you can get really good at, you can get really comfortable with, you can build the habit and you can build the routine of it. And then if it so happens that down the road, you want to add the next thing on, by all means, that's the way to do it. Too many times I've seen somebody um, want to do all the things and then they end up doing nothing at all because it's just too overwhelming to try to do that. So, um, I love that piece of advice. The other thing I wanted to say was what you're describing here is you really leaned into kind of building a personal brand and kind of establishing yourself as I am the FI tax guy. And so I think that the, the important pieces of that were you had a community that you really connected with and you established yourself in that community and how, how your voice could contribute to the conversation. And I think that's just the the most basic part of building a personal brand and you've happened to do it really 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 well and you're absolutely right when i reached out to you to to come on this podcast it was because you had this really strong personal brand you know i've seen you speak at one conference and i know you've written a book and to me you you have a lot of things dialed in that i think um other advisors and practitioners in the financial space can really benefit from. So you started with the blog. I know also you have a podcast now. Um, you, you've written a book, you speak at conferences. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about how that has kind of expanded? Yeah. And by the way, it's not a podcast. I have a YouTube channel, which I've sort of taken the approach of conquer one thing at a time. And, and I use the word conquer loosely, right? I wouldn't say I've really conquered any of this stuff, but Basically, slay a dragon one at a time. So the first thing was the blog. Okay, great. Um, the second thing was a book. And I started that in early 2021. And it's a book about uh, an audience I serve. 
It's a book about the solo 401k. So think about how many solopreneurs are out there in the world, right? Who could be financial planning clients, who could just be interested in this topic. I picked a topic that, frankly, I don't think enough ink has been spilled about. If we think about personal finance, there's so many blogs on so many different topics or blogs, podcasts, YouTube, books. I feel like the solo 401k is one of the few topics that didn't have enough ink written up and spilled about it, enough you know, podcasts, YouTube. So I thought there was a need. I had a natural interest. And I thought there was a, a, an underserved market there. I will say this, though. So, the, so Hillary, I don't know. Do you play Texas Hold'em poker? I never have. Okay. So there's a saying in Texas Hold'em, uh, Hold'em poker um, that certain cards, certain hands are great drawing hands. So I'll give you an example. If you get dealt uh, the Jack-10 of any particular suit, so the Jack-10 of spades or the Jack-10 of hearts, by itself, it's not the best hand, right? A pair of aces, pair of kings, pair of queens just destroys it. Ace-king, king-queen, those type of hands destroy it. But the Jack-10 is a great drawing hand. What that means is it can become something great. It can become an ace-high straight. It can become a royal flush. It can become a jack-high uh, straight. It can become a, even a 10-high straight, technically, right? It can become all... It has the ability to, to become... To, to win you the hand in the, in the long term in different ways. And I think the book was that, right? Not that, oh, I'm going to release this book and it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. Or I'm going to release this book and I'm going to have 50 new clients, right? But wait a minute, this book could win because maybe it'll be commercially success, successful. But maybe it'll win because it'll, be, it'll give me credibility. Maybe it'll win because it'll get me on podcasts. Maybe, you know, on and on and on. And I think that's sort of what happened mm-hmm. with my book. Um, it has not been this huge commercial success, although recently sales have ticked up a little bit. Um, it, it was mentioned on a, a particular podcast that helped move some sales, uh, just because a gentleman really liked it and just mentioned it on his podcast and that moved some sales. So that's great. But what it's done is it gave me credibility. It's gotten me on podcasts and, you know, I've been happy with it. I will say this though. I think it's my last book for quite some time. And that's some time. Don't, don't hold your breath for book number two. The, the one drawback from a book is it's a lot of work that a lot of people are never going to see, right? There's a big cost of entry in terms of, okay, could people see this? And that cost is their time, right? It's, it's not like a YouTube video or a blog post where Dr. Google's going to lead you there. And now I've had this greater interaction with Sean Mullaney, right? Um, this is, I've got to commit my time. I've got to know about it, yada, yada. So, the book can absolutely build credibility. It's something to at least consider. And it depends on who you're looking to be client, who, who's, you know, who you're looking for clients, what you're trying to build in terms of your own credibility. But okay, so that's the book. And then in 2022, I went a step further, and that's the YouTube channel. So in 2022, I did the, the YouTube channel, um, and that's growing. I, I'm over 1,700 subscribers now. And I'm actually near, as we record this, I'm near monetizing the channel, which means I have 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of views in the last 12 months. I looked at it 
yesterday, and I think it was like 39.65. So I'm really close to getting that thing monetized. Mm -hmm. But it's just another way of getting the voice out there, people getting to see you. And it, especially in today's world where we have so many virtual meetings, I think it's actually helpful because they see, all right, this is sort of what he looks and feels mm -hmm. like. How do I relate with that gentleman? And then in the background, though, I will say, uh, you know, so in my, in my marketing channels, it's blog, book, YouTube, and then in the background, it's guesting on podcasts, right? So, and, and mm -hmm. all three of those feed into that, right? So it's like, look, you, you know, I, people find me because I've been a guest on a lot of these podcasts and it's like, okay, I hear this guy in a conversation. I, again, I, I get to look and feel and how does he talk to folks? You know, it, does he seem like he might be a good connection for us? You know, and uh, yeah, so it's, I'd say it's those four tactics that then, you know, but I, I focus, you know, uh, on the financial independence space, I focus on the tax space and it's like, okay, we have those two strategic focuses, these four ways of connecting with people, you know, hopefully that's good enough to bring in clients. And I found that it actually is pretty good to, to bring in clients. And if I could just add a fifth thing, because, the, you know, this is how I met you, you also do a lot of speaking at, at conferences. I know, you know, last year we met at FinCon, you, you told me before I hit record that you're speaking at Camp FI. Um, is it Camp FI or Camp FI? I say Camp FI. I don't think anybody's going to ding you for saying Camp FI, though. <laughs> yeah, went tomato, tomato. Um, is that, would you say, am I correct in saying that's kind of a fifth prong of what you do is, is speaking or is that a little bit lesser on the priority list? Oh, no, that's absolutely, I think that's a really good point, Hillary. Um, and, and frankly, those conferences, it's about, you know, sometimes it's about speaking, but it's also about just connecting. Um, and it's not necessarily clients, right? You know, I go to FinCon, I'm not looking for clients. I'm looking to connect with other content creators. I had some great conversations at FinCon this past year and it's like, Hey, Sean, you want to come on our show? Well, great. You know, it's just, and, and by the way, you're not going to connect. Not everybody's going to lead to that result, Right. But Hey, we have some nice conversations. I learned some stuff, whatever it might be. I pick up some tips and tricks in terms of my YouTube channel, or even uh, this year I learned a lot about Twitter at uh, FinCon and mm -hmm. just sort of how to try to, you know, build up your following on Twitter. So, you know, I, I think, that's that's something I would recommend to a lot of the newer planners out there and established planners too, is go to some of these conferences and connect, right? It's not about every interaction leads to, you know, a, a 10 episode arc on, you know, Joe Rogan, right? That's not about that. It's about, hey, let's make some connections. Let's see where we have some similarities. Maybe we can help each other out in terms of, you know, promoting each other, giving each other a voice or a platform, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very much a fan of, of conferences speaking. Absolutely. If you, if you can do it, but it's not necessarily about the speaking depends on the conference. Hmm. Uh, did you know when you first decided to go all in on your own firm and go independent, did you know that you would also kind of by default become a content creator or was that a little bit of a surprise to you? I would say it was mostly a surprise. Like I said, the idea for the blog came while I was speaking, um, you know, to a, a group of about 30 or 40 people. And, mm. you know, I will say I had radical transformations and, you know, in terms of one day I'm working in corporate tax as a W2 employee. And then, you know, whatever it is, eight months later, I've got my RIA up and running. 
And so I was learning a new industry, a new, you know, it's a, it's a skill to be able to interact with clients and to have successful cl- client engagements. It's a skill to think about, well, you know, what are their needs, you know, doing the financial planning itself. Uh, so all of it was new to me. And I just didn't have, I can't even say today I have this grand design, you know, in terms of my marketing. Um, some of it was trial and error. And I'll tell you, on my blog, it's trial and error. I've had posts that have done really good in terms of page views that I never would have predicted would have done very well in, in page views. I've had other posts where you put it out there and it just doesn't get a lot of page views. Well, all right, you move on and, and you learn a little mini lesson from that. So, no, Hillary, I wouldn't say I had this grand design. Um, you know, I, it was the year 2018, 2019. It's not like I was stunned to think, you know, maybe I'm going to have to do some content creation. But it wasn't exactly my grand design when I started my firm. Mm. And do you enjoy content creation? That's just a question I got to throw out there just for people who are looking at it and maybe thinking like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work and time and energy put into content creation. Is it something that you enjoy? I would say generally, yes. Um, Some of the blog posts, I just love writing. You learn a lot when you write these blog posts. Um, It's fun to put new ideas, new thoughts out into the world. I, you know, so I really like the, the writing piece of it. Uh, the YouTube channel, it varies. Um, I, I'll say this. I don't dislike it. And it, it depends on the subject, too. Some subjects I just really light up for. Um, other subjects, it's like, no, you know, I'm, I'm doing this more to make sure my, my channel has some viewers, right? Um, where it's like, okay, I see an opportunity here. I'm going to, you know, try to, you know, grab some viewers. But I also, I owe the audience a duty to you know, have a high quality content as, as best I can do it, right? I've generally gone the low tech way. Most of my videos are what they refer to as talking head videos. So they're not the beautiful, well produced. Um, you know, I've done some tips and tricks in terms of lighting and my microphone and stuff like that. And I've gotten better over time at, at those types of things. Um, so I would say I really tend to, re- I tend to really like the, the writing piece of it. And then the video piece of it, you know, that it just depends sort of on the topic on the day. Um, you know, what side of the bed did I get up on? So it's not all like, oh, this is the greatest thing, you know, in, in human history. Some of it's, you know, hey, you got a job to do. Let's make sure we get it done right. Um, so that, that's sort of my approach. Well, Sean, I really appreciate this. I think from, from my perspective, you are just the poster child of imperfect action and just you know, doing the thing and getting the stuff out there and, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And that, that is the most impactful thing I think anyone can do when they're trying to market their business or, or, you know, develop their thought leadership and, and really just push content out there. So I think everything that you have said is, is so helpful, um, for, for other people to hear who are really just kind of diving into this journey. Now, throughout our conversation, you've kind of dropped some little tidbits of advice here and there for for advisors and other financial professionals who may be embarking on a marketing journey. Based on everything that you have done over the past five years and everything that you have learned, is there one piece of advice that you can kind of sum up and just and just give to our listeners before we wrap up here? I would say prioritize audience over expertise, right? There's plenty of expertise mm-hmm. in the world. And I'm not here to say expertise doesn't play a role. It absolutely does. But start with your audience, right? Don't, you know, have, you know, your blog is the 
um, retirement accounts blog, right? I'm just made something up there, right? I just don't know that that's going to connect as well as starting with the audience um, in terms of how you identify your content, whatever it is, podcast, YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever it is, start with the audience, then filter back with the expertise. Um, and then with the expertise, I think it's also identifying those areas where you can make a unique contribution, right? There are plenty of things we all want to talk about as financial planners, but a lot of folks have come before us and what are we really adding there? But maybe there's one or two things that we could start off where we can make a unique contribution and then we can go from there. I love that. It, it reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this week, actually, where, um, you know, someone said, if you care about your audience and that comes through and that's your first priority, the money will follow because it's just so obvious when somebody cares about their audience and you clearly care about your audience. So um, where can our listeners uh, find you? Where can they find your YouTube channel and your blog? And, and if you're on social media, where can they find you? Yeah. So thanks so much, Hillary. You can find me on YouTube, Sean Mullaney videos. You can find me on Twitter at Sean money and tax. And the blog is phytaxguy.com. Oh, and then last thing, also your book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Solo 401k, the Solopreneur's Retirement Account. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You know, a lot of these digital uh, sellers have it. Um, and, yeah, you could just order it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, these other digital platforms. Perfect. Well, we'll link to all of those things in the show notes. And thank you again so much, Sean, for sharing your time with us and sharing your experiences. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Finance Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Finance Marketing Podcast. If you're eager to market your business in a way that feels good and actually gets results, sign up for the Finance Marketing Podcast newsletter in the show notes so you never miss another episode. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite listening app and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you back here next Friday.